Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, if it was an animal, it would not even be sold in an Asian meat market. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is September of 2023. And on this week's episode in Pipe Parts, we have a Ask the uh, to Ask the Blender with Jeremy Reeves. And then my guest is uh, future pipe maker Brandon Frady. I had a really good time talking to him. And then music by request, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, as we sit here, it's, uh, well, five weeks, yeah, five weeks until I head off to Vegas for the uh, Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Uh, early registration discounts end after September 10th, so if you book your registration after September 10th, you'll have to pay 50 bucks. So it'll cost you five bucks more and you lose out on the five free raffle tickets. And I know in that raffle, I know there's at least six artisan pipes and I know there's a bunch more stuff coming because a lot of you have reached out to me. Uh, We are oversold on tables at this point. So thank you very much. It looks like we're going to have about 108 tables total by the time we, uh, by the time we get there. So 108 times Eight feet, well, you know what? That's uh, 856 feet of pipes and tobacco stuff. A uh, bevy of world-class pipe makers, including some coming from uh, Europe and uh, Asia. And it's just going to, let's just say, this is going to be big. And hopefully you all can join us. Uh, Go to VegasPipeShow.com and book that right now. few more spots as of the time of recording for the Saturday night dinner, which is our awards dinner and pipe show game show. Uh, And there's a handful of YouTube channels that are coming to do their YouTube shows right from the floor. So go on to VegasPipeShow.com. You can see those YouTube channels that are listed and, uh, you know, follow them and see what they see what they do at the show some of them might even be live streaming directly from the show so all right let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go there's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine missouri meerschaum corn cob pipe an american legend since 1869 it's the coolest smoothest pipe i've ever owned See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years, and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. 
we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Pipe Parts is the the man in the net, the head blender <laughs> of Cornell and Deal, Jeremy Reeves. And the, men, the the reason I mentioned net is because as we're recording this, we're on Zoom together, and you're wearing your beard net so that there is none of your DNA when you're head blending, right? That's correct. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm not wearing it for fashion. Yeah. Uh, Brian's been trying to convince me that maybe there's a maybe there's a hole in the in the uh, the fashion world for you know a beard net to be a part of it, but I just don't think that's true. Maybe maybe we could do an asbestos beard net for for pipe smokers, (laughs) and it would protect their beard from getting singed while smoking. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. All right. All right, Jeremy. Here's your question. Are you ready? Yep. Uh, this comes from Al, and Al's been with the show since the beginning. Uh, he says, uh, question to you, our head blender, Jeremy Reeves, about citrus notes in tobacco. As I continue my tobacco journey, I tried Orlick Golden Slice, and it quickly became one of my top fives. Love the tangy citrus notes and mild sweetness. Uh, could you, uh, would you share some details on what blenders look for in sourcing tobaccos or Virginias with citrus characteristics versus bready grassy notes, etc.? Also, can you provide recommendations of other blends that have more of a focus on citrus, perhaps more citrus flavor than Orlick, whether they are non-aromatics and or arrows as always a big hearty. Thank you, Al. Okay. Wow. That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, there's kind of a midway point here. So in Virginia's uh, often do have some citrusy kind of characteristics. Um, they're not the way that the way that Virginia's are graded um, for, for bright, we use the word lemon uh, for, for uh, red, you know, uh, or, or mahogany. Those are the, the actual terms. Um, and then there's also kind of a, a range of Virginias that will fall kind of in the, in the middle of the bright side or the red side. That's more like orange. So what you're, what you're saying is that the yellow or the lemon isn't always citrusy. It's just, those are designations based off of the color of the leaf, right? That's, that's correct. But, but while the grading system is addressing the color specifics, yeah. not the flavor specifics, there is a sort of citrus element, particularly to Virginia's, and the brighter leaf tends to be a little brighter in the citrus note. And so it seems more lemon-like a lot of times. Um, not always, but it can. So when you get citrus notes from really, really bright leaf, it tends to be lemony, um, whereas in the orange spectrum, it's a little deeper. You still have that citrus note, but when those tangy qualities come through, they're a little more reminiscent of something more orangey. So not quite as bright, um, but not really, really deep, like stewed fruit or something. And then you get those fruitier uh, compounds from your darker Virginias that have gotten darker yeah. by virtue of the sugar content in the leaf, essentially reducing and aging on the stalk, um, sort of caramelizing. 
So if that makes sense, even though yeah. the flavor de- the flavor the flavor designation is not where we get lemon or orange or red from, um, those those flavor characteristics do seem to follow that same train. Uh, it's just not why they graded it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, is there so some- like, yeah, kind of in the weeds there? But like, I hope I hope people are tracking with my uh, sort of stream of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you do have a beard net on, so that. Yeah, that makes you cool. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, I'm sure you find it very distracting, but we'll have to remind people occasionally that I'm wearing <laughs> beard nets they can't see me. <laughs> um, um, so is there something that you on the manufacturing side can do to accentuate the citrusy and maybe back down the grassiness? Are there is are there additives and, and processes that you can do to highlight that? There are different things that a manufacturer can do to bring those more prominently to to the forefront of the flavor. Um, usually, that's done with uh, done with casing. Um, we don't use a whole lot of casing. Um, the vast majority of our blends are actually made with uncased tobaccos, and we don't apply a casing to them. Um, but the the practice of casing can help to draw out some of the tangier uh, flavor profile. Um, other other things, of course, would be, you know, very overt flavoring, um, you know, using orange oil or, or an orange flavoring or using uh, lemon oil or a lemon flavoring can, can kind of draw that out. And you can be really punchy with it and use a lot. Um, or you can be very, very discreet with it where the smoker wouldn't necessarily realize that this was an added flavoring. Um, my guess would be that on something like Royal Golden Slice, there's that's kind of what's going on there. There's something that's been added to accentuate yeah. uh, and make that note consistent across batches, whereas uh, with leaf only, um, you may have more fluctuations in how citrusy one one year's crop tastes of a particular grade versus the next year's crop. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think we can also out it here because I've done it before uh, that there may be something that is added to Orlick Golden Slice to help make the flake hold together the way it holds together, and in I in doing think that. Yeah, I I think that is probably true. Again, I'm I'm speaking in vagaries here because like I I don't know their right. process, but I'm very very familiar with what tobacco that doesn't have anything on it tastes like, and it seems to me that there's there's some some other augmentation that's there, and and I also know what tobacco that doesn't have any sort of binding agent added to it presses like and how that holds together in a flake. Um, and I think that's pretty common for most flake manufacturers, uh, especially of the European flakes, to use some sort of outside binding agent, uh, gum arabic or, or or otherwise, something to help hold together. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, we're not we're not talking about Gorilla Glue or uh, you know they're not hot welding the stuff together. The, these are all no, consumable things. Yeah. Yeah. If if a binder if a binder is being used, it's a binder that is that is food safe and that yeah. is uh, you know designed for this. Um, 
Now, are there any blends that you can recommend to Al that are in that citrusy line for you? I get a lot of really nice citrusy notes um, from Bijou. Um, there is a, there is a honey casing that is added there. It's very, very, it's very, very slight. Um, and a portion of the, of the leaf used in Bijou has been steamed as well. But the, uh, the Caterini actually, um, in, in Bijou has kind of a spicy character to it, but underneath that, it also has a bit of a citrus note and it, and of course the Virginias do as well, even though they've been steamed, they're still we haven't steamed them black. We have steamed yeah. them to a deeper, a deeper red or a deeper orange or a deeper uh, lemon color. So there's still some of those, some of those uh, citrusy notes from the Virginia, but the Caterini kind of makes those things pop. And then the honey casing on top also helps to make those things pop. Honey being sweet um kind of works as a foil to those soury or, or, or more sour or like tangy notes the same way that adding salt to a brownie makes the brownie seem sweeter um so now you got me hungry thanks uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i would recommend bijou to al i would also recommend derringer to al um derringer is a, a pure virginia blend um, where we do use a very specific casing that only gets used on that blend, um, and it does draw out more of the more of the tangy, like citrus notes, particularly in the orange uh, range. So I, I think he would find a lot to like about that blend, particularly if he's fond of the flavor profile of something like Royal Golden Sliced. And like we talked about previously, maybe if you had uh, beehives that were in central Florida and got around a whole bunch of orange groves, you might have a little more orangey taste out of that. Oh, that's, that is very true. See, I, very was, true. I was paying attention, not just looking at your beard net. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, thank you very much, Al. Hope that helped. Yep. Thank you very much, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. Three six six zero three four five. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining me this is this is going to be an interesting one, and I'm looking forward to it. Joining me is an artist, uh, an artist who is now turning his art towards pipes. But I don't want to call you a pipe maker yet because you're just beginning that journey. But Brandon Frady, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hi, thanks for having me, and uh, 
and yeah, I agree with you. My my pipe making journey is in its infancy, so I would hesitate to even call myself a pipe maker for probably another six months. Yeah, but this is, uh, this is going to be fun because you're 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 so new and so excited about it. But first, let's get to know you. Where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Have you grown up? Yeah, sure. Um, I was uh, born on the Navy base in Charleston, South Carolina, about six months before Hurricane Hugo, uh, actually less than that. And so my um, Hurricane Hugo remodeled the area that my parents were living in. And so I didn't stay there for more than about a year. So I grew up in like rural Anderson County, um, which most people would never have heard of except for the movie Radio. Um, That was set not too far from where I grew up. Um, And uh, yeah, I grew up not especially well of means. And um, my parents had both, you know, my mom had grew up in a farm uh, and my dad in like a trailer park community. So they had both always had this ambition to sort of make something of themselves. And both my parents were sort of, uh, they were hard workers, but kind of secretly artistic. And, um, (laughs) and I guess I kind of picked up that artistic, like, anger from them and kept just trying to dole it out in different ways. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I grew up. And then I've mostly remained in that general area. Like I'm only a couple counties over, so I've, uh, stayed pretty Carolinian. <laughs> so when you say they, I mean, they were, so they, they were, um, I guess, artists in the closet. Um, what, what kind of art were your parents wanting to do? Well, my, um, my dad was always especially detailed. And so he used to, uh, it was really big in his age group, but they had those model cars that you had to paint every single piece and assemble them like from scratch with like the, you know, glue and stuff like that. And he would just build just tremendous amounts of them and enjoyed the whole process of like crafting and painting and stuff. And he's, he's developed that into his own career. Like he now does um, aqua dipping and ceramic coating and stuff works a ton with like motorcycles and stuff. And um, he sort of verged that into his, his, you know, his ability to, to make money over time. But for a long time, it was kind of something he did as a passion. And I still remember, I don't even know if he would, but like uh, one time when I was in middle school, he found out that I was writing poetry. So he like sort of dug through and found all these, old poems he used to write and started reading them to me. And I'm just like, is this, is this the same guy that I know? And like my, uh, (laughs) my mom was sort of turned it into these weird things of, you know, she, she uses like her, her house as the artistic project. Like for a while she was paint, uh, seasonally, uh, yeah, seasonally, um, repainting the garage door with like, you know, she had like a snowman scene for winter and like, uh, leaves blowing in the wind thing for fall. And like, she just kept going through all of these things where she would just sort of use her house as its own, like display. It's a, so like, it's kind of unconventional, but definitely artistic. Yeah. All right. And, and what kind of, uh, I mean, growing up with that, so you were, did you immediately get interested in the arts? Um, not exactly. Like I was always a, a music fanatic. Um, and so that, that I guess ensured that like my first dabbling in art would be poetry. And it's something I've kind of intermittently done my whole life. And I, I enjoy just sort of like wordcraft in general. Um, for me is weirdly, even though I'm now like sculpting and stuff, like it's always been my primary means of art, like whether it's a persuasive essay or short stories or like 
stuff like that. Like I just, I like, um, I like the ability to manipulate words and it's always been, I guess just since I'm cerebral, like it's always been my preferred art because I can work on it in my head at all times without anyone even knowing what I'm doing. So like it, yeah. I uh, eventually turned that into stand-up comedy and stuff too. It's like, I, I like anything that can be written. Wow. <laughs> so Brandon's not daydreaming and he's not drunk. He's just working on some words in his head. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Like uh, anytime that I write something, like I'll just spend, you know, hours before any words ever show up on paper, just like reworking in my head, just sort of revising. Like it's a, I don't have a very visual memory, but I have a, I guess, uh, self narrated one. Right. Yeah. And, and how does that translate to sculpting and, and working, you know, working with physical medium or does it? Well, it's, it, it, it does in really philosophical ways. Like, um, I feel like ever since I've taken up, uh, pipe carving and sculpting, my writing has gotten better because it's like with, you know, I have probably six knives I use and like five chisels and then you go through just enormous quantities of sandpaper and as weird as it is it kind of teaches you about how you should write because you know if i just carved a pipe you know if I even no matter how good i did like if i just rough drafted it where i just like took my initial like knives that i always use on the first part of the process got a general shape and was like done like that's it's kind of how a lot of people try to write because a lot of people actually find editing to be offensive to the writer where it's right. like, you know, how dare you touch the words that I put down? And it's like, it's uh with this, it sort of reminds you like nothing's ever right. The first time you always have to rework it. You always have to fine tune it, you know, to make it clearer. Like if you want to get what you're trying to get across artistically to the other viewers, whoever they are or readers, you know, it's like, it needs to be polished. It needs to be sanded down and fine tuned and like nothing more than it has to be, but still containing everything that it should have. Yeah. So you're, so the, I mean, and, and then at one, at some point you just have to say, all right, I'm done with it. Exactly. Cause you can, you can work anything forever. Um, cause there's, there's always going to be something where you, you see it and you're just like, damn it. I wish that was different. But like, once you've done it, like, you know, the pipe I'm working on for myself, I'm going to have spent like a hundred hours on it. And it's like, at some point it's just half the stuff. Like yeah. I, I need to work on another project, but it's like, I'm still obsessed. It's really <laughs> weird. So, so how amongst all this did pipes and pipe smoking come into your life? That one was a bit weird. So I've, I've listened to, um, at this point, nearly a hundred of your, Podcasts, And so it's interesting to have heard so many origin stories. And the thing that mine shares in common is that it began in college. And it's kind of the only thing that it shares in common with what I've heard. Um, my parents were, and still are, like anti-smokers. Um, <laughs> because I have a lot of cigarette smokers on both sides of the family that develop lung cancer. Right. And no one ever really smoked pipes or cigars. And so everyone on my both sides of the family is just like tobacco bad, like tobacco lung cancer. Yeah, And, um, when I got to college, like it's weird. I started smoking a pipe because of how introverted I am. And, um, I walked out of a building one day and there was a seminary student who was smoking a pipe and I, I didn't see him, but obviously I smelled, you know, a, uh, 
pleasant presence. Yeah. And um, so I looked around, I'm like, hey, what is that? And he just starts talking to me. Um, still one of the most extroverted people I've ever met. And he invited me to just sit there and talk to him because he, uh, you know, nobody on campus smoked a pipe. And so he was always sort of outdoors just by himself. And um, next thing you know, I'm like hanging out with this guy like every day. And, um, and he starts asking, you know, like, well, Hey, next time I place an order, you want me to just pick you up a pipe and some tobacco. And, uh, you know, that way it's not just me sitting here smoking all awkward while you're sitting there next to me. And, um, that's how I got into it. It was, um, it was social in the beginning. Um, so I started smoking a pipe and then next thing, you know, a few people from my, my, uh, same class started smoking a pipe and then eventually one of them went on to start the upstate pipe society, but that was years later, but it was, um, it was just like, it, it started as a, you know, just social gathering. Um, and so it, it was a long time before I instead learned to, um, use a pipe in a more introspective setting, but it worked great as like this social catalyst for me. So it gave you a sense of community and also, kind of gave you something to pontificate with. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I went to a Christian school and so we would, you know, just argue theology and stuff for vast quantities of time. And it just made for like a, a, a nice little intermittent, uh, while you're listening to somebody, you're just sort of puffing away doing your own thing. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to hit the hot button subject. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with a future pipe maker, Brandon Frady. And, uh, and the reason I say future is because, you know... It, well, we'll we'll have you back on once you're once you're comfortable. You've made a, you've made a bunch of pipes and you're and you're doing that. But and I'm excited to see what you do. But uh, Brandon, you sent me you sent me a message and I was and I was so intrigued by it. Uh, and it goes back to apparently episode 81 of the show, which if I was a good host, I would have gone back and listened to. Um, and and it touches on the fact that a bunch of artists and uh, scientists and writers are all pipe smokers. So my, I guess the discussion is really, do you think that, uh, that pipe smokers are, you know, more apt for the arts and more apt for the sciences or more of the creative types or are more creative types drawn towards the pipe? Um, yeah, I, and I guess it, it all, it, it would also have to do a time and, you know, time period of when these people came around, but, you know, you, you go all the way back to, to, uh, 
Bach and then Van Gogh. And I mean, they were very dedicated pipe smokers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really, it's a weird topic because it's so expansive when taken in its entirety. And so if I can just run through like a, as quick as I can, a history of tobacco as pertains to this subject, um, feel free to edit out anything that's unnecessary. And uh, for reference material, the best thing to read, in my opinion, is Tobacco by Ian Gately. But if I can run through a really quick one. So, like, tobacco is a what I call a noble grass. It There's buckwheat, wheat, corn, tobacco, all these, like, grasses that trace back 10,000 years. And unlike most of them, tobacco is inedible. And so it had to be cultivated for other reasons. Um, tracing back the whole 10,000 years... You know, it's found to be a religious ritual substance for native tribes in the Americas, as well as a recreational um, pastime. And so from the beginning, it had this duality that it was it was spiritual, but it was also everyday. And so, like, they found pipes and snuff tubes and everything that date back thousands of years Um, when it was introduced to Europe post, you know, the Spanish arrival and stuff like that, the Dutch arrival. It, it became the vehicle of colonialism. It was used for money. It was used for, um, you know, the appetite suppressant properties that were natural in it. And um, it was also used for, you know, trade, establishing cultures, all sorts of stuff. And every culture it came into contact with generally adopted it. And um, for most of its history, tobacco has always worked economically in tears. Um, the, the entire American Revolution was... You know, the under the loans to America by the French were underwritten with tobacco because the French love snuff like snuff was the high end. It was the cocaine of its day. Like it was the premium product. All the best tobacco was sniffed right up the nose. And um, like for most of the history, that was where all of the, the wealthy people were at, whereas the pipe smoking was more lower income. Um, and the thing that we associate with artistry is low income. So. Van Gogh, um, basically every classic composer, they were all very poor. Um, They didn't really come from means. And so they were able to use tobacco for appetite suppressant, but also because it helps you be introspective, it allowed you to both, like if you were, if you were not wealthy, it allowed you a vehicle by which you could calm down a little, focus on your art and also not get so hungry, which for until the 20th century, that was something on everybody's agenda was like, how to take care of food because before it was mass produced, like it, it was a big problem that we just don't really think of today. And so a lot of the whole starving artist thing, like once upon a time, it literally meant starving. And so tobacco served as a vehicle to allow them to do their work despite circumstances around them. And I think that's why it has a lot to do with creativity, whether we're talking Van Gogh or Einstein. So that, that's interesting because, you know, because most people I mean, going way back, yeah, it, it's true. The pipe smokers were the lower income. That was something that you that you could, you know, that the low income could do. And the snuff and their fancy snuff boxes, that was the fancy people. And that was the two ways of ingesting tobacco. Uh, and, yeah, and t- until the cigar was invented. Um, yeah, that was that was it. Yeah. And then, well, minus the, the ritual stuff in, in like South America where they turn it into a paste and it makes you hallucinate. But that was a lot this coming. 
Yeah, and the and and the natives to North America were using it for rituals and ceremonies and elevating their uh, their enlightened thought process during it, which might be something else in there. Um, yeah, because I mean, Einstein developed his theory of relativity while smoking a pipe, and a lot of people don't attribute it to it, but it's like you can't sit at a desk for hours on end doing absolutely nothing. Like the pipe did give him that vehicle of, of thought. Um, so it's like, you can't credit necessarily tobacco with the discovery of the theory of relativity, but at the same rate, you kind of can. So then my, I guess my question is, uh, as pipe smoking may have fallen out of favor in the 1950s and sixties to more cigarette smoking and, I would assume maybe the next wave of of um, of artists and stuff that were enhancing their uh, performance might have been with marijuana and some of the other drugs. And I'm thinking Jackson Pollock and a couple of the uh, you know, and a couple of those folks. Oh yeah, I mean it's. Um, I think come the 20th century, the biggest thing that is yet to be written is like how the tobacco pipe managed to reformulate because like if you look at you know all of the pipes prior to like the danish method arriving like for the most part they're not necessarily aesthetically pleasing in the way that we would think of today because when they're meant to be affordable it's like they they were just trying to manufacture like how do we make the cheapest possible thing for you to ingest tobacco in and you know when when cigarettes came along and replaced it as the economical method and, you know, cigars went on to kind of replace snuff as like the, uh, the more, you know, um, high end thing. Cause you're paying for so much labor with the artistry of wrapping them. Like it, I think the, the pipe had to be refigured as, okay, like if it's no longer for the lowest income, like how do we change this up? And I think that's why, you know, you get so many designs today, but also all of this artisanal pipe blending is sort of like hitting its, you know, like, uh, tipping point now you know that that's come along because it's no longer just for affordability it's also like how do we make a great product experience that you know can sort of hit like all these different income levels like it's um it's definitely an ongoing narrative and i'm wondering now uh would (laughs) i I, i'm thinking of einstein and and then in particular C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien are the two favorite authors to talk about. Oh yeah. Um, you know, how would their, uh, how would the writings of Lewis and Tolkien be different if they didn't have the pipe? Uh, would it, would they be well, different? Well, that would be interesting because sorry, I've got to dig into a different rabbit hole here. Yeah. The other fascinating thing about tobacco history is that it, Ever since Napoleon first came along and provided his entire army with tobacco, which in itself was impressive because his army was always less experienced than whoever he attacked, and yet they cream <laughs> like it it became a thing where other armies had to wonder, like, is this substance helping him? And historically it would say yes, because even into World War II, America was actually providing free tobacco for its troops because it helps them to calm down and stuff like that, but also to, you know, not be so, you know, tense even around their there are people that they're with and Tolkien, he wrote Lord of the Rings after, you know, fighting in world war one and traveling from town to town with people smoking his pipe with them like that. It created the fellowship. Like, so it's, 
you know, it's not just the tobacco in his writing experience, but it's also what he was writing about was an experience that he had with tobacco. Yeah. That's why, like, so many different areas in his uh, narratives have their own different tobaccos. Like, it was a subject that he was infinitely fascinated with, but also partook in with a whole bunch of people. I wonder if divorce rate is lower amongst pipe smokers because us us that smoke a pipe have something to put in our mouth and shut us up occasionally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a, a, a listening device as well, for sure. Yeah. I, so I, I'm... I guess if, and then the other, you know, the other side of it is, is what would some of these, you know, some of the non pipe smoking artists, could they have been better if they had picked up the pipe? Um, you know, where, where did they, where did they get their inspiration from without having the pipe? And, you know, maybe some of the, uh, I don't know, maybe some of the social or cultural mores that they had to deal with were constricting them and, and if they were able to smoke a pipe, that might have re released some of them. Yeah. I mean, even as you're saying, like, you know, Jackson Pollock, like, it, you know, a lot of the the things that I've heard with people just smoking tobacco is that, you know, they'll drink less while they're smoking. And, um, you know, Jackson Pollock obviously died and got other people, or at least one person killed due to his alcoholism. And, um you know, his his work became less and less introspective over time as he was just getting angrier and angrier. And it was, you know, it it could have been different for sure. Because um, it's like anything that could make somebody just calm down and take a second look at life, like it's probably a helpful mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking of all the musicians in the in the history that have smoked a pipe and have, uh, you know, have performed on stage. I'm always fascinated by some of the old blues guys that could play on stage while smoking a pipe. Cause it's just, just amazing to think of their, you know, they've got the pipe hanging out of their mouth and they're still playing right along and puffing on the pipe at the same time. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a, a cool look to have. I thought it was cool though that you, uh, I can't remember his name exactly, but uh, someone you had on the podcast even mentioned that so many opera singers are like, uh, they're smoking when nobody's looking. Yeah, yeah. Well, opera singers have a lot of downtime, so they go sit and smoke, <laughs> and uh, and I think they're nervous types. Um, for you personally, when you're you're starting to carve and 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 really do some pipe, do some art within the briar, um, are you sitting down and lighting up your pipe when you're while you're working? Generally, yes. Um, it. I've had to learn over time how to acquire tobaccos that I can kind of not just tax myself with. Um, so it, it really depends on how strong the tobacco is. I'm smoking that day as to how many times I'll light up. But, um, but I, I do find there to be a certain level of continuity in smoking a pipe while I'm trying to reimagine Briar. And, and I, and I know for, well, let's put it this way. I'm not a writer, but I know some writers that suffer from writer block and they'll use the pipe kind of as a reward to help break the block and say, all right, if I get, you know, if I get something down on paper or if I get something created or get something going, then I'll use the pipe as a reward afterwards. Uh, and, you know, cause maybe they can't, <laughs> maybe they don't have the freedom to smoke where they write. Um, or don't want to worry about a pipe while they're, while they're smoking. 
have you have you used the pipe itself as a uh, as a reward? Hmm. I can't say that I have on that note. Um, I mean, I guess at some point I may in terms of I'm more likely to use tobacco as the reward thing. Like, yeah. you know, when when I sold my first pipe, like I opened a particular tobacco I had set aside for that. Um, you know, when when eventually I sell another, once I'm comfortable with reentering that process, I'll probably do the same thing. Like it's, um, there's an event driven thing with the tobacco, but not necessarily an artistic, uh, reward on the pipe side. Okay. So you're, so you are, you do have stuff set aside as, as monumental things for the future. Uh, and that, and that keeps you, that, that keeps you plugging away, I guess. Yeah. And I, um, that my my just nerdy obsessiveness keeps me going away because it's like if I'm not doing that I have to do something so I might as well do that like I don't uh, I'm one of those types that I don't necessarily struggle with writer's block because there's nothing in particular that I have to write and so if I can't think of what to add to it I just set it aside and work on something else because like there's there's always something that my brain wants to work on um, so I just try to not get mad at myself if I don't continue the same thing for long intervals. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like, uh, of like Aaron spelling and Stephen J. Cannell who did all those seventies and eighties TV shows. And, you know, they've got to write a script and put it down and, you know, but they're pipe smokers, but maybe they say, I, <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, I got to get this episode of Charlie's angels finished. And, and, and then oh, I'll, yeah, I'm yeah. under a guideline. I'm sure it would help tremendously. Um, I'm, I'm lucky I don't have any deadlines. <laughs> yeah. So yes, Charlie's angels and, uh, and some, some of your favorite TV shows were produced and written under the influence of, uh, pipe smoking, uh, <laughs> which, which makes me happy to watch old episodes of the love boat. Um, <laughs> so, so you're, you're kind of on the, you're on the younger side. Are you seeing, and you've got, you've got a group of, pipe guys kind of around you are you seeing the younger yeah the younger more um how do i say this nicely without insulting those of us that aren't artists uh the younger more uh in touch people getting interested in pipes as a way to yeah as a way to focus themselves or express themselves i'm not i don't feel that i'm qualified to answer that question entirely um I took like a really long smoking hiatus on accident um, from like 2015 or so until just this past year. Um, so like before that, I did notice that there was a bunch of people in my age group who were getting into it, which at that time was like uh, mid to late 20s. And then as I've reentered, I've noticed that a lot of people also in my age group are in it. Um, I haven't necessarily met too many people younger than me, but I'm, I mean, when I do go to a to a pipe shop it's one that was established around the time my mom was born so like a lot of his clientele are naturally older than me still anyway um so i i haven't yet become involved enough again to see the whole scope but i know that there's definitely still a, a sizable pocket of people in my general age group that are there <laughs> <laughs> and i guess the uh and, and we'll check back in we'll, we'll check back with you in six months or a year or so. Um, what is your, what is your personal goal with pipe making or pipe carving? Is it, 
you know, is it to, is it to make a living off of it? I hope not. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I make, you know, decent money at what I do and I don't like to ever feel artistically desperate. Um, but I, I kind of stumbled into to carving a pipe, but then it just, you know, I was more so surprised by, as I said, I had gotten out of smoking a pipe altogether just due to economic circumstances. I got laid off and lost my car and house and it's like a long thing. I just sort of dropped it. And, um, when I was going to be buying a house this last year, I took it back up. Um, and then right after that, I injured myself. I broke my elbow. So I started trying to find something to get my muscles reengaged. So I started carving a pipe and then next thing you know, I now, you know, I had gotten out of that community. Um, but upon accidental reentry, you know, I've gotten like three people around me in the smoking a pipe just because they would see what I was working on and be like, Hey, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm two of them are now wanting to start making pipes, like, you know, just for themselves and stuff like, cause they've gotten into it. And it's, it's one of those things I, I found it interesting just how, uh, what would be the word uh contagious pipes are yeah yeah you, all you have to do is sit down in front of them in public and somebody's going to be interested in it yeah because i mean if nothing else they see you just sort of you know relax there and are like huh like i wouldn't mind being relaxed because it's <laughs> one of those things of like you know uh, the most common comment that i've heard if i'm just out and about smoking one other than them asking me where i got the pipe i'm uh smoking is they'll just sort of mention like my grandfather used to smoke a pipe and you know, they're, they're always talking about a much older man who's, you know, they never pass on a story of like, you know, he was an angry dickhead. Like it's always (laughs) that this old man's like very kind and polite and, you know, normally took the time to talk to them. It's like, it's people accidentally associated with a generally kind person. Yeah. Yeah. Generally. I know a few. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a hundred percent for sure, but uh the ones that leave good nostalgic memories, normally the kind people. <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Absolutely. So what is your favorite pipe? Um, of mine, I like the pipe I'm working on, uh called Renee, the one that I said I have going to have spent like a hundred hours in, but I'm also a sucker for uh, Stefano Santabrogio's their affordable pipes on Italy. And what is your favorite tobacco? Um, most recently, I love that new release, uh, cigar by Cole house and cop, um, English aromatic. And what is your favorite drink? I would have to say that varies, but I, strange as it is apple cider. Ooh. Ooh. All right. And <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, if it's a good book, book. If it's a bad book, music. <laughs> and how long into the book do you decide it's time to turn the music on? <laughs> Usually within five pages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Um, I would say just any time that I smoke with friends, like they're, they're all equally great memories. Um, I smoke a lot at home on my desk while I'm working with pipes, but there's nothing quite like just having a good conversation. 
Brandon, thank thank you very much for reaching out to me, and thanks for coming on and doing this. And uh, we'll 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 talk again in six months to a year, and then we'll then we'll talk more about your pipe making process and all that standard stuff. But uh, thanks for coming on and doing this. Absolutely, I'm very happy you invited me. Thanks. And we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and normally this is when I would tell you to check out everything that Brandon's doing, but don't check it out yet. I will let you know when he's ready. He'll let you know when he's ready, but I, a, a unique guy because an artist who is also very interested in the history of the actual tobacco and the product and all that stuff, so I'll, I'll let you know when he's ready. But for music, uh, we go to Scott, and Scott wrote in and sent in a couple of suggestions, including the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and this one is called Anyhow.
Thanks to uh, Scott for sending that in. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band is spelled T-E-D-E-S-C-H-I Trucks Band. You can find a whole bunch of their stuff on Spotify just like I did and uh, leave a uh, rating for the Pipes Magazine radio show while you're there. Yes! You have new mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. If you email it to me and I don't hear, and you don't hear back from me in a couple of weeks, well, email it again, please, and I might lose stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, going back to last week's show, Dino says, a nice 101 review of the stem, brief yet comprehensive. Yeah, that's me brief and comprehensive. Uh, then he goes on to say, I really enjoyed the very entertaining conversation with Jay. It was the kind of freewheeling discussion between pipe friends that makes it fun to eavesdrop. While I like the original much better guns and roses cover of live and let die is a classic hard rock compliment to sir. Paul, uh, don't sweat the details as you get older. You realize exact times and dates for things are textbooks, not life. Uh, you only need to be exact for your spouse's birthday and anniversaries. Thanks for another always entertaining show, Dino. And then Casey Ghost says, uh, good review of the pipe stem, short and to the point. I didn't really get into your conversation with Jay Furman. It's completely irrational, but the one pipe podcast I can't stand is Pipe and Tamper. Uh, Jay's co-host is Mike Murphy, who leaves me cold. I absolutely can't stand someone who asks questions with so many conditions that you can literally just answer them yes or no. I think that interviewers who think they have to show off how smart they are are incredibly rude. I know you have to do this with politicians, but not with average people. Hell, we're just a bunch of guys sitting around talking about pipes. As I've said many times, I want to hear the guest speak, not the interviewer. Uh, coming up with a new calendar is a cinch. A pope actually did this in 1582 by adjusting the calendar forward 10 days and by cleaning up the process of calculating when leap year will fall. So October 4th, 1582 was immediately followed by October 15th, 1582. I'd explain how they moved more correctly calculated leap year, but I'll save that for later. For a more enlightened version of... Isaac Asimov devised one that called for 30 days per month and once a quarter at a day at the end called quarter day. After the end of the fourth quarter, in addition to the quarter day, you would add a day called world day or whatever. So you have 12 months, 30 days, four quarter days, one world day. That's 365 days, which is a standard year. When you have leap year, you would add leap day to the calendar after world day. But in truth, you just can't use this because the world would rise up in the streets demanding your head. Good Lord, Aunt Millie. <laughs> Thank you, Casey Ghost. That's got to be one of my favorites. Uh, and then Andy SC said, hey, Brian, great show. And it's always a pleasure hearing Jay talk pipes and tobacco, whether it's on your show or the Pipe and Tamper show. And uh, Bryant writes, Hi, Brian. I enjoyed the last segment of Pipes 101 Revisited. Of late, I've noticed the button and the stem, particularly its thickness or lack thereof, is very important to my smoking comfort. I also didn't realize the difference between the Canadian and the lumberman. I'll just interject here that, you know, people could argue that for days um, and have argued it for days and could still be arguing it for days. 
Uh, then he goes on to say, Jay was a great interview. Your back and forth was entertaining as always. His early entry into pipe smoking was interesting and provided uh, and provided a great history of pipe shops near me from the fairly recent past. Keep up the great, keep up the good work, Brian. You're welcome. I will. Um, and then Walt says it was great meeting you at the NASPC show in Columbus a couple weeks ago. This was my first pipe show and I had an absolute blast. I really enjoyed meeting all the vendors as well as meeting fellow pipe and tobacco enthusiasts. As great as the show was, honestly, the most memorable part was just sitting around smoking a bowl and speaking with fellow pipers. It was really a great community, and I'm proud to be part of it. I also purchased my first artisan pipe at the show. I would just like to put in a good word for Ron, for Ron Smith at Rand's Freehands, R-A-N-Z. Uh, I purchased a couple of his pipes at a very affordable price and couldn't be happier with them. And he's a great guy to boot. Thanks for all you do in promoting our hobby, sharing information, and bringing us together. Uh, hope to catch you at another show as I'm now officially hooked. Hutch Piper of a little town called um, Charlotte, North Carolina. So maybe we have to get together. Let me know. Um, yeah, I really, I, I listened back to the show with Jay and I really enjoy talking to Jay. He is just a wealth of information and a bunch of history. And, uh, and I like listening to him and Mike. I think they complement each other perfectly. So again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com and rant time is coming up next. A Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe is the perfect pal. Going fishing, take your corncob pipe and see you back at dark 30. Hunting, your corncob pipe squares, it won't make a pop. Relaxing and reflecting, you add your corncob pipe at relax. Party time, your corncob pipe doesn't produce a cool smoke for no reason. Let's just say your Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe gets you. Visit www.corncobpipe.com to get yours today. Missouri Meerschaum Company, authentically original, authentically you. Excuse me, Mr. Collins, but the show is starting. They, they need you on stage. Just one minute there, Charlie. I'm placing a bid for this great item on 10bids.com. Ever heard of them? Oh, sure. The Pipe Collector's Auction site. Well, I just sold some nice things on there myself. Say, you don't see much of that anymore. Yes, you sure don't, Charlie. But 10bids.com sure has it. They have vintage and luxury tobaccos, pipes... Accessories? You name it. Tom, baby, we need you on stage. Okay, Ed. Uh, Charlie, take over for me, would you please? You got it, boss. Visit tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and sign up for free today. Hey, uh, Mr. Collins, you won! I'm pretty sure I've ranted about this before, but, uh, you know, I'm in a philosophical mood this uh, September, so here it goes. Um, assuming or prejudging is bad. And the reason I know assuming or prejudging is bad is it's part of the reason why 
uh, when I do tobacco reviews, I don't tell you if I liked it or not. I tell you what I think it's like and what I think it's close to, and uh, you know, and I, you know, and what my opinion is of it. And I am the leading expert of my own opinion. But until you experience it yourself, you really can't, you know, listen to what somebody else said and assume or prejudge based off of a label or a package that it's going to be good or bad either way. You really have to experience it yourself. So as pipe smokers who are always trying to uh, find something new and interesting, uh, I was listening to Rich Esserman on the Pipe and Tamper podcast recently, and after 40-plus years of pipe smoking, 50 years now almost, uh, he's still refining his pipe smoking style. We as pipe smokers, we don't assume or prejudge anything until we actually experience it. We may take advice from knowledgeable people or from friends or uh, mentors that we trust, but that's just to guide us on the road. It's not to get us all the way there. So we don't assume or prejudge anything when it comes to pipes or tobaccos. And that goes with people or music or art or anything. You can't really assume or prejudge it until you get a chance to experience it. So that's why I always suggested I never told people what my favorite tobacco was. I didn't talk about my favorite pipes much because I wanted you to assume. I didn't want you to assume or prejudge that that would be your favorite too. So there you go. Don't assume or prejudge based off of minimal data you know get to know things get to experience things all right comments questions email me brian at pipesmagazine.com remember las vegas international pipe show early registration offers end uh, uh, on september 10th and after september 10th uh, all that information is at vegaspipeshow.com itunes ratings and reviews much appreciated doesn't matter what they are uh, spotify if you're on there Give us a little uh, thumbs up or whatever they do over there. All right. Thank you very much to uh, Jeremy Reeves. Thank you to Brandon for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Don't blame Kevin for the jokes. He hears them shortly before you do.